and welcome to the RochdaleAFC.com podcast. My name is Dean, aka At the Peak. I am joined once again by Chaff. Chaff, how are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, thank you very much, mate. Good stuff. Uh, we've also got Ryan with us once again. Ryan, how have you been getting on, bud? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. You? Yeah, not bad at all, mate. And we've got plenty more to be talking about this week, haven't we? Um, after complaining a little bit about running out of topics last week, it seems like everything's uh, everything's come to a head this week. Um, obviously, the, the news that's dominated uh, the last few days, as far as Rochdale fans are concerned, is uh, the news that 15% approximately of the club's shares have been transferred into two new American investors from uh, previous shareholders. Um, that news was broken around this time last week by uh, the message board user Fitzo Chris, Chris Fitzgerald, uh, who kindly sent us the press release that Dan Altman um, released on upon the sort of discovery of the news. Uh, and I actually managed to have a chat with uh, Chris this morning about the last few days and his opinion on, on what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Chris, first of all, thanks for joining us. Um, I'd just like to start by asking, without revealing any of your sources, how you uh, came across the news of the shares changing hands around this time last week. Yeah, so it was about uh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, someone I know gave me a call. Um, obviously, I can't give you the name, but they called me up. It wasn't like Watergate or anything. It wasn't a big uh, anonymous gravelly voice down the phone. Uh, it was just someone I know saying, you might want to check the uh, the recent shareholding at the club, see if it's changed hands. So obviously I thought, all right, yeah, something in that then. Um so I started digging and um, spoke to various people, including uh, former chairman Chris Dumphy and uh, current CEO David Bottomley and uh, current director Andrew Kelly. Uh, this was a mixture of written exchanges, verbal exchanges. Anyway, eventually the name Dan Altman came to the fore. Uh, had a look into him, found a way of trying to contact him. Uh, initially, he was a bit coy. So at that point, that's when I thought I'd put something on the forum, uh, the fans forum, just to just to set a seed to show that it could get in the public domain. Uh, that got a decent enough reaction. Anyway, at this point, the supporters trust obviously found out about it then because I put it on the forum, and they had made their own arrangements to contact Dan. This forced his hand, I think, and he came up with a statement, a pre-prepared statement covering all bases, uh, which he issued to me. With a with a caveat that you know there was a promise of a further conversation once everyone had had time to digest the um, the statement. Um, but what I will say is, you know, since then um, he's not really replied to any of my messages, and I don't know if that's a, a result of the subsequent statement issued by Andrew Kelly or not. So why is it? Do you think that it's taken so long for this to come to the attention of supporters? Um... I believe that it wouldn't even be in the public domain now if it wasn't for your own investigative journalism on, on the matter. Um, why is it, do you think, the board and Altman himself have, have kept things under wraps for so long? That's, uh, that's a million-dollar question for me, that, to be honest, because um, I haven't had a satisfactory answer to it. From what I can work out, uh, the exchange, the sale, took place in October uh, last year, between Chris Dunphy and Dan Altman. And Chris Dunphy had agreed not to disclose publicly at that time until the conclusion of the the, the sale uh, who he was selling to. 
Um, the board, though, were under no such obligation to, you know, to talk about Chris Dunphy selling his shares. They, they, there had been previous talk between the board and Dan Altman about uh, investment directly into the club, um, and and as far as I believe, you know, sale of unissued shares and things like that. But what Chris had done, he'd, he'd made a private sale um, to Dan, and the board were not. You know they they could claim they don't know about it, but I've I've seen evidence that they did because uh, Chris Dunphy actually sent the club secretary um, the the purchase agreement um, and the club secretary, according to Chris Dunphy's solicitor, had asked to see that. So they they saw, um, and this is where it gets a bit murky as well because at my understanding is at that point I think it's called a preemptive clause. I think the club could block the sale or stop the sale. They've got a right to do that and buy back the shares. My understanding is under Chris Dunphy's tenure as chairman and 30 years of him being on the board, that's exactly how it worked. Uh, even, even when you're talking about uh, deceased relatives just wanting them to give them to a surviving relative, uh, it still had to have board approval. So I'm not sure what happened there. But anyway, the board didn't block the move. They didn't opt to buy or offer to buy back the shares. So the sale went ahead and nobody was any the wiser until, you know, last week. Um, so... That's a good question. Why did Dan not make his move? I honestly don't know. Maybe he was hoping he could buy up more shares in the interim period, get more of a controlling stake, because you've got to remember... Um, and we're talking about just Chris Dunphy here, but that's not quite accurate, because, uh, you know, Bill Goodwin and uh, the late Paul Hazel, uh, her shares, are also uh, part of this lump that, that Dan Altman's bought, and it equates to about 15% of the, the current issued shares. So... I think Dan was maybe hoping to buy up more to give him more of a controlling stake in the interim period before making his plans public. Um, and, and let's talk about his plans as well, because the, the statement he issued is it's both bold and ambitious for the club. Uh, Dan's obviously an analyst by trade, and he seems to think, you know, he's publicly said before, buying a lower league European club uh, would be a good way to test and prove to market, you know, that his, uh, his analytic tools work. Uh, by by getting success at a lower league club, so you know there's all this into the mix, and he he's offering to bring this revolutionary approach to to Rochdale. The, the, the scare there, obviously, a little bit is you know it's an unknown quantity. It's a US investor. We're very much as Rochdaleans used to Rochdaleans owning the football club or being involved in the running of the football club, and I actually really like that, and that makes me proud actually to be a Rochdalean. But Chris Dunfield openly has previously said that his resources could only ever have got the club so far and that's why he was looking at outside investment in the first place and you know where's it going to come from because there isn't a Euro Millions winner a Rochdale fan just waiting to come onto the board you know in his his suit of armour and I just I just don't know so it's a tough one Someone's going to have to invest in the club. They're going to have to be scrutinised, obviously. Uh, and that's why I, I feel I'm playing my part because, you know, these things have got to be brought out into the public. People have got to have the chance to scrutinise and see what is going on behind the scenes at our club. Um, so it's a tough one. But it's good enough for me in a way that Chris Dunphy's vetted this chap and thought he was worthy enough to uh, to sell his stake to. But what about the... Um, admittance that some of the these plans would be funded by loans. Um, I know that's something that, that raised a few eyebrows among supporters and 
for myself in particular, to be honest. Yeah, you know, and, and again, I think it's extremely naive to think we can attract investors with access to sufficient funds to bankroll the club. Because, you know, don't forget, Dan wants to add to the commercial staff, um, which would increase profitable turnover, uh, pro rata. And, you know, it gives us an element of self-funding to the business. And what have you made of the reaction to the story becoming public? Um, we've seen statements from the board, uh, from Andrew Kelly. We've obviously seen the, the story covered in wider media and, indeed, plenty of supporters have had their say on the forum and social media. So what have you made of the reaction um, to the news going public? I think what's most interesting about all of this, really, is uh, is the reaction the club have had to to this news. Now, I have to be really careful here because there's 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 alternate timelines to all this, depending on who you speak to. Um, I've seen some documentary evidence from both sides, actually, as to, to how it's happened. So I've got to be very careful. I don't present anything as as fact here. Um, but but the short story, what what can't be disputed is, you know, Chris Dunphy, when he was chairman, was charged at looking into getting outside investment into the club. Dan Altman was one of those avenues. Now, Chris Dunphy tells me at the time, uh, it didn't even get as far as talking money. Dan was just interested in getting his uh, analytical tool and team into the club in some way. Um, and, and the board were distracted by the development at Bowley in terms of investiture. So it, it kind of broke down with Dan at that point. But Chris said that he was under no illusion that Dan was a good operator and someone to keep an eye on in the future. Then this is where it gets murky. Chris left the board. But this, from what I can work out, is before he sold his shares privately to Dan. The current board... Um, you know, say led by the current chairman, but you know he's uh, he's the invisible man at the minute. So he's probably led by the current CEO David Bottomley. Um, Andy Kelly was involved. They they got Dan back over to talk about buying unissued shares from the club that way because you got to remember with a private sale, the, the only the share owner benefits um, unissued shares. The investment goes into the club, which is what the club needed. So they got Dan back over. He had uh, he got showed the sights. Uh, I think he got taken around the town by Andy Kelly. He got taken to the pub. He got taken to an evening game. Uh, it was the end of last season, around about April, March. I don't know. I can't put a definitive date on it. Uh, he spent a load of money in the club shop, apparently, afterwards. And then, you know, according to Andy Kelly, he went away, came back with some figures, and they just didn't stack up. And I've got to take them at the word, Um you know, so they, they they were acting in the best interest of the club. The money on offer just didn't add up, and it wasn't worth giving the shares uh, for that for that price for that, that that level of investment. So it all went quiet again there, uh, and then next thing you know, um, Chris has sold his shares privately to Dan, and Dan's obviously looking to get into the club that way. Um, so the board. Andy Kelly's statement at, at, at this news was one of one of anger. I've got to say, um, nearly twenty years as a journalist, it, it was a, it was amazing to see um, a, an official club website used as such a platform for for, for such a um, you know it was almost like a, a biography of Andy Kelly. And I think what what he was trying to do there is show that his roots are firmly planted in the town, and that's fair enough. Uh, I don't think anyone disputes that. Um, but but the, the ultimate takeaway message from what he was saying was, uh, you know, Rochdale's not for sale. 
Now, again, we go back to my previous answer. It kind of has to be a little bit because where's the money going to come from? The alternative is you just let the club keep going backwards and there'd be an argument to say, well, so long as we have a club, um, I'm not too bothered about that. Well, mm, football's changing too quickly. Again, there's a caveat that the current pandemic will probably change all that again. So maybe there is less need for investment in the short term because everyone will be uh, almost on a level pegging in trying to recruit players uh, and wage demands will go down, etc. But that won't last. Let, let's not kid ourselves. The human race uh, by, by a group is a selfish bunch and all the lessons learned from the pandemic I can see going down the toilet uh, not too long after this is all over. But we'll be back to where we are. We ne- we'll need outside investment. And, yeah, I, I don't think the board can be too staunch. Now, they can be extremely picky in who they let invest, and I, I applaud that. But let, let's not write off everybody that comes you know, through the door, if, you know, if they don't speak with a Rochdale accent, let's say that. Yeah, and obviously you've been at the heart of the story since it broke. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think I've got to say a few words about the supporters' trust as well, because I just don't think at the moment... Uh, it's been fit for purpose, I've got to be honest with you. Um, I mean, last year they claimed there was a memorandum of understanding signed uh, with the board uh, and, and, and there's documents that say there was an agreement that the trust would be informed of any potential changes uh, to ownership and you've got to assume that means private or otherwise, um, especially when you're talking about a foreign investor. And then, you know, when they were challenged on this recently, you know, as a result of you know what I found and wrote bringing all this into the public domain. You know, it was a very dismissive response. Um, it, it was just, yeah, it was just very frustrating, to be honest. And I just think the supporters deserve to be represented, um, especially if they're paying to be members. You know, these guys are shareholders and they've got, a, you know, a seat at the table. Um, but I've got a full-time job away from the club. Yes, I'm a qualified journalist. I'm qualified to do this kind of digging and work, but that's not what I'm paid for at the minute. I'm doing it for my love of the club. But I'd like to think I don't need to do that and there's someone there that's got got mine and the other supporters' best interests at heart, you know? Yeah, I think that's a view that's perhaps shared by quite a large section of the fan base. So hopefully it's something that the Trust can take on board and improve upon in the coming weeks as this story unfolds. Um, Chris, I'd, I'd like to express my thanks for, you, for the work that you've done in uncovering this story, as many other Dale fans have on the message board uh, in the last few days. And thanks for joining us on the podcast and giving us your insight today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been good to uh, to sound off about a few things, actually. Cheers. So, guys, uh, we heard from Chris there, uh, his opinions and, and what's happened for him in the last few weeks in sort of discovering this news. Um, so, Chaff, I'll come to you first. Uh, this is pretty big news, isn't it? What do you what do you make of it? I know that's quite an open question, but what are you, what were your um, original thoughts and what are you thinking now about perhaps what's going to happen with these new shares uh, or these new shareholders rather well my, th- my first thought was how much weirder can 2020 get um, the Americans are coming seemingly to, to wanting to take over um, I don't know what I make of it to be perfectly honest with you um, there's lots of different ways you can look at it um, some of it seems bizarre like Chris Dunphy selling his shares without seemingly the knowledge of the board or and it sort of brought into question uh, Chris's reputation a little bit. Um, 
which I didn't think would would ever happen. Um, then you've got directors coming out um, and absolutely sort of going against everything that's that's been said and really putting their defence forward more than anything. Um, long-standing board members like Andrew Kelly um, swearing on Bibles and stuff like that in his statement, so it's all a little bit bizarre. Um, at the minute, it's not a significant enough shareholding um, for any immediate concern or the other side of the coin. It could be an exciting sort of prospect. Um, who knows? But yeah, bizarre times at the minute. Yeah, Ryan, where do you stand on this? Because it does seem like there's been something of a split among supporters, doesn't it? Some uh, welcoming this new investment, some being particularly wary, especially given what's happened down the road in the last couple of years uh, at clubs like Bury and, and Oldham. What are you, what's your initial thoughts? Are you thinking perhaps this is an exciting time, uh, uh, the next step for the club, or are you maybe thinking, why Rochdale? Yeah, I think, I guess, first of all, I just want to open thanks, Chris, to, for breaking the story on behalf of the supporters um, then my initial thoughts were well firstly was what's going on why Rochdale who's Dan Altman who are these people what followed that was excitement once I saw his statement um, when he'd outlined what he was hoping to invest in for us um, you know it, it all looked good you know new training ground um sporting director, funds for transfers, that kind of thing. And then I guess what's happened since then, I don't really think anyone's clear on anything. Um, we've had a contrasting statement to his from a board. And then we've had Andrew Kelly's, um, like Chaff just said, where I actually liked that. Um, at first, I couldn't make a decision when it were, whether it was passionate and just great from a board, from a director or whether it was just a rambling bit of nonsense, similar to what we've heard from the government, to be honest. But I think I'm erring on the side of passionate and I like it. Um, but, yeah, it's just all up in the air, I think. It's not major enough for anyone to be worrying just yet, but I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, yeah I, I still wonder why Rochdale, being honest. Um, Chaff, you mentioned yourself a few minutes ago... Um sort of the this has put Dumfries' status among supporters uh, under question. Um, do you think we'll maybe hear from him in the coming days? It seems like his side of the story is the one that's really missing from the jigsaw, but even so, it feels like whatever he says, there's still going to be uh, questions to be to be answered so, somewhere along the line. There's more, yeah, there's more questions than answers at the minute, isn't there? Um, he's the one that we've not heard from yet. I don't know whether he's he's got any interest in telling us his side of stories under no obligation to because um, he's no longer part of the football club so um, I don't know I don't know whether we'll hear from him it'd be good if we did get his side of the story um, so ideally he's want, you'd want all parties to to have their say and put their two kind of thing uh, just possibly give a little bit of an explanation we've heard from Andrew Kelly we've heard from Dan Altman um, and Emery Marcelli. We've heard from the Supporters Trust um, and we've heard from, well, briefly from the football club. 
So, yeah, Dunphy's the one that's left. Uh, it'd be nice to know the reasoning behind him selling his shares. Um, it'd be nice to know the reasoning behind him selling them for no, where, where the club don't sort of make any money from it. You mentioned uh, the trust there, Chaff, and, and Chris was um, slightly critical of them there in their sort of part in, in the last week or so. I know that's something you don't particularly agree with. Um, do you want to put put forward a case in defence of the trust, perhaps, here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's great that Chris has um, brought this to our attention because we would be none the wiser, really. Uh, but I did think that that statement... Um, the trust not being fit for purpose is very, very harsh. Because um, there's not a group of supporters that care more about the football club than the supporters' trust. Um, all have full-time jobs, as uh, Chris mentioned, um, as well as doing this. And they put every little bit of effort into making sure that the football club is run as properly as it can be within their control. Um, and the work that they put in is incredible. Uh, I've seen it firsthand. I've been on the tr- the, the, the trust board before, um, many years ago. Um, I know all of the trust board members very well, and I know exactly how much they all put in. And it's not as some of the issues that have come out of this. The, 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 one of the reasons that, or the main reason that the trust has been criticised is because they weren't aware um, of it and then it brought into question their role in it. Now, if there's an NDA, then it makes it a very, very tricky situation because as a supporters trust, if you've got a non-disclosure agreement in place, if the club decide that they're going to tell you all about it and you then, as a supporters trust would do, would tell its members... It could potentially scupper any deal. The club may not trust the trust um, and it would affect the level of transparency that we currently have um, between the club and its fan base. If the club then decides to not tell the trust, the trust get it in the air because of their seen as being in the club's pocket and, as Chris mentioned, not fit for purpose, which is, yeah, I don't agree at all with that. Um, or there's the other option where they, the club tell the trust what's going on in the non-disclosure agreement, but the the club don't the trust don't tell its members, and you can't have that because it's it's all member based, isn't it? So it's not as as easy as just saying the trust haven't done enough; they're not fit for purpose. Um, I think it's extremely harsh. Um, one thing I will say about the Supporters Trust uh, and its relationship with the club is the fan base now are told more than they've ever been told before. Um, the level of transparency is it's more than you would get, uh, I would wager, 95% of other clubs, maybe more. Um, and I think that is... I think that's precious and I don't think anything should come between that. Um, and it doesn't put, and it doesn't mean anybody's weaker than anybody else if, they, if something is jeopardised by it, neither. Um, so for the trust to be criticised on this, I think really asked because the, the work that they've done to get 
the club to open up to its fans is huge. I think that's a fair comment. Um, I've been critical in the past at times of both the board and the trust, but I do agree that the communication, particularly over the last year or so, up until this, um, has been pretty impressive. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure why the NDA was was brought about on this. Um, and I think perhaps just the fact that it's taken so long for anyone to be any the wiser among the supporters has led to a little bit of, not bitterness, but a little bit of confusion perhaps. And um, I do understand why some supporters are a little bit uh, put out by the fact that we've it's taken so long for us to learn about this. But hopefully it's not something that happens again because I feel like the supporters deserve to know about these sort of events um, a lot a lot sooner. Um, so I'm focusing on the potential positives from... Um, this investment, obviously, uh, we've said earlier on that it's going to take some time um, for Altman to really uh, get enough shares to really make a difference at the club, uh, if that is something that he, he still intends to do. But Ryan, we saw um, he has some quite exciting plans for the club, doesn't he? What what do you think um, the effect of things like a new training ground would have on the club? Um, and what are you, what are your opinions on sort of the analytics side of things, which? is clearly where Altman's background is and clearly sort of the main reason for his interest in Dale is to um, to build the reputation of his Smart Scout product. What do you make of that? On the first point with the training facilities, you know, it, it, it's no secret to anyone at a football club that that's something we've, we've missed for, well, years, but probably since Keyfield first took over, to be honest, where he was always banning on about the facilities we're using, we've had to, you know, beg, steal and borrow. You know, I think it went from Borley to Upward Hall and now obviously the cricket ground, I think we were training in, in Salford and, it, you know, it's just, it's not sustainable that. And I bet we've missed out on quite a few players over the years because of that. You know, when you, when you had Bury at the time, we training at Carrington, um, I've in Bolton wondered his training facilities and new facilities are made unbelievable um, so when you've got clubs in and around us with facilities like those yeah, and we're training at the local park where there's car boot sales every Sunday you sort of you know you, you want your own place you want your own home um, on that though I do think BBM's done a fantastic job sounded like he single-handedly secured the cricket ground Um Think it was one of the first things he did when he took over, so that, that's great. But we need a home. There's no doubt about that. Football's moving quickly, and to have a hub where our first team and academy both train and perhaps play behind closed doors games would be massive. Um, on the analytics side, again, something that's moving quickly within football. I think most elite clubs now use things like that. Um, you know, more and more clubs are signing players you've perhaps not heard of, but end up being special. Um, so I think for us to have something like that in place would would only benefit us. I don't. It's obviously not going to work hundred percent of the time, but neither does your standard traditional scouting method. Um, whether it would impact our academy and our ethos on bringing through players, I hope not. I think that's vital for us and I think it's something all supporters can relate to and love um, but I see both of those things as a positive personally Yeah I think just to touch on the uh, on the aspect of the youth players coming through and things like that 
Um, I think what's important to remember is that what benefits um, the club benefits Altman in this situation if he is to get a majority share holding. So if these players that are coming through are good enough to improve the team, then there'll be absolutely no uh, danger in putting them into the team, especially if they can then go on and make us some money like the likes of Matheson have in the last few years. Um, the analytics side of things is something that I'm sure the club are already um, involved in in some way, but obviously this is this is to a, a further extent where um, we're perhaps looking to gain an advantage that that we that is the opposite of the disadvantage that we have by being one of the sort of less funded clubs in the league, um, which is something that that any club in a situation like ourselves, where we're perhaps um, among the poorest in our division, uh, should be looking at, in my opinion. And having seen some of the similar tools, and I've not worked with Smart Scout myself, but having seen some of the similar sort of analytical tools, I can see exactly how these things work and I'm really excited by them personally um, but obviously this is not the major issue at the minute is it Chaff? I think at this stage obviously I want to get your opinions on these sort of exciting um, aspects of it as well and what your what your thoughts are about the analytics and, and the, the promises of the, of the training ground and stuff but also is it a case of sort of risk versus reward here especially given what's happened um, at other clubs down the years and given the fact that even without this sort of investment we have uh, to a degree been able to sustain ourselves as a League One club for the last few years We have um, the way that we've done that financially is by selling players and as we not sold players there's every chance we would not be a League One club now there's every chance we wouldn't be a League Two club now um, but yeah there is there's, a, there's an element of risk to any um, sign of ambition um, and it's certainly an ambitious sort of plan that he's that he's got in a system. Um, I've not seen it over here used much. Um, you've got to get a manager to buy into that as well. Um, that's key because if you've got a system telling you that X would be a great signing because of this and the manager disagrees and once why instead it, it's going to fall down so you've got to have a manager and a coaching staff that absolutely buy into any system like this um, but it, the technical side of it the, the analytical side of the game is becoming bigger you see it at other clubs uh, around Europe um, and yeah, maybe there is something in it um, I'm certainly not ever going to write it off before it's before it's come. Um, with regards to the the training ground, um, Ryan mentioned that we've been bleating on about it since Hill was here. Well, I can tell you we've been gone. We, it goes further back than that because Steve Parkin literally mentioned it in every time he had a microphone in front of him um, that he wanted training facilities. And it has actively stopped him signing players that he wanted to sign. Um, so it, it's been something that we have been after for best part of two decades, as far as I know. Um, and it's evidently an important thing to have, but it's 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 also one that we've lived without. Um, how much longer we can live without it is anybody's guess. It's not ideal going from place to place. Um, we seem to have got very good facilities now at the cricket club, as Ryan alluded to, um, thanks to the work that BBM's put in. Um, so it's probably not 
as essential as it maybe once was when we were sort of skipping from the likes of Bowley and Salford and places like that. So, again, if it's financially doable, then obviously you'd want it. If it's going to put a huge strain on the finances, um, part of me would be inclined to say, well, we're maybe not in a position to be able to do it yet. Yeah, I think it's clear, isn't it, that this is something that that needs to happen at some point in the future, but that is going to need investment. And, Ryan, the the board have spoken about needing investment before. Um, If Altman isn't isn't sort of a desirable um, investor, if this isn't the way that the club wants to go, then where is that investment going to come from? Because to some fans, um, obviously there is more to it than this, but to some supporters, I think reading... What, what we've read in the last week or so, it seems like some members of the board maybe are expecting investment without losing any of their sort of share of the club. And um, it's not clear where that investment's going to come from. Like Chris mentioned earlier, um, there's not going to be a, a sort of a, a knight in shining armour that's a Rochdale fan with loads of money to just throw at the club, is there? So where's it going to come from? It's tough. Um I think, like Chris said, there's no Euro Millions winning now. Who's a Rochdale fan? But if that happens, then it could come from there. Um, but it's a tough one. Um, I think what the club have come out and said suggests that they wouldn't be willing to part with their shares for someone coming in. But whether that's 100% true or whether it was... Something's got to give in the next few weeks in terms of statements from either side. But to me, Altman just doesn't seem like the right guy for the board. But I I do think that if someone came along with investment and after fit and proper tests from a board of directors, they were deemed fit and proper. Would they sell some of the shares and let them be a major holder? Probably. Um I think they'd have to come with a, a proper business plan and some real proper investment that's going to help the football club. Doesn't sound like Dan Altman has that. And I think I actually think Andrew Kelly's statement and Altman's reply to him in an email suggests the same. Um, but I think we'll all be surprised should that happen because I think our, all our natural reaction to last week was, why Rochdale? So I think that's always going to be the case, and it's. I give credit to the board for for seemingly being quite strict with with who they provide, who they let in. Yeah, Chaff, do you think overall the board deserve a little bit more credit? Um, because it seems from Kelly's statement that they've sort of steadied the ship after some slightly over ambitious spending in the last few years of Dunphy's tenure and the board have received criticism perhaps at times due to that sort of financial frugality if you like but do you think maybe they deserve a little bit more credit because it, it seems like we, we were perhaps in, in a, a bit of trouble before um, before Dunphy left Absolutely yeah I do I think they deserve a lot of credit um, all of them I, I think they've got the the best interests of the football club um, very close to their hearts because a lot of them are Rochdale supporters um, the fans forum was uh, was a, a, a great insight into the financial side of the football club at the minute and 
how we have struggled and how we are having to take measures that will try and bring us back um, to a more financially sound footing. And yeah, they have come in for some criticism. Um, some of it's been deserved because they have made mistakes. The board of directors, there's no doubt about it. We don't have an ideal setup as a board of directors. Our chairman is, um, like Chris said, he's the invisible man. Um, doesn't say anything. And he's chairman seemingly in name only. We've got a, a chief executive um, who is very much the face of the directors, but he's not the chairman. Um, it's a little bit odd when we're used to having the chairman being the one that everybody goes to. Um, so, yeah, they've come in for some criticism. I don't think all of it's warranted. I think they've all, I think they're all working their backsides off to get us back to where we should be financially. That's uh, included stripping the wage bill back um, for Brian. Um, and that's been evident on the pitch where we've had kids playing every week. So I think, yeah, I think they've come under some fairly harsh criticism. And another thing as well is with the with the potential investment, I know that the club have come out under different chairman and said we need outside investment. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to take the first one that comes along. Um, without you've got to do your due diligence on on any potential investment because. We all know only too well what happened down the road twice. It just went completely pear-shaped and supposedly passing fit and proper person tests. Um, And, yeah, I'm grateful that they're taking a cautious, even overly cautious approach um, because... We're Rochdale and this sort of thing doesn't happen to us. Yeah, and I'd just like to add on to that that um, I do think this is a perfect time for people to be joining the trust. I know that memberships uh, applications are closed at the minute, so maybe not quite perfect, but perhaps um, in the next few weeks that's something for people who are involved already to think about because um, if that investment is going to come, then supporters need to be able to have a voice and there's no better way to do that than through the trust um, and obviously, those those people that are critical of it, um, perhaps the best way is to, to get involved and, and have your say and, and change things that way. Um, is there anything else you two would like to add onto this debate before we sort of move on to uh, the um, the news about the end of the season? Not really. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if Chris Dunford comes out with a statement and then we've got all sides of the argument. I think we can, can sort of guide our own opinions based on all sides then. Um, be very interesting to see what Chris Dunphy's got to say. I think it will be interesting, but I, I can't see him saying anything where it's still not going to be whose side are you on. It's going to be tough to ever get real clarity, I think, um, from an outsider's perspective in support. I think if, if Chris Dunphy comes out and, and criticises the current board, if he comes out, he might not come out yet, who knows. Um, if he does... We've got one side from Andrew Kelly who was critical of Dunphy, and then you've got a side of Dunphy being critical of the board if that happens. So then all it does is create more confusion, I think. So I think this is going to be, it's not going to be over quick, this. I think it's going to be something we're talking about for probably months. I hope not, but I think it will be. But 
yeah, let's just see how it plays out. But yeah, I think we've we've got to end that by saying credit to the board with some of the things we've done recently. Yeah, there's definitely a long way to go in this debate. Um, certainly going to be plenty more news coming through in the next few weeks and months, which we'll hopefully um, be able to cover as well as possible on the podcast. Um, but the, the other big news from this week, of course, is the decision by League One to end the season early, um, which was made on Tuesday, which sees us stay in League One for, I think, that's seven consecutive seasons now. Um, obviously, I'm guessing both of you are quite happy with that decision. Um, but Ryan, do you think that is the fairest way to end the campaign, even given what's happened at Tranmere? Yeah, I think I said it last week. Um, I believe that that is how the season should have ended. I believe it's a decision that should have been made weeks ago, to be honest. You feel for, oh, it doesn't seem many people do, but I feel for Tranmere somewhat. Um, it is hard for anybody in that situation. I think if we were in their position, we'd be devastated, we'd be annoyed about it, and we'd be shouting as much as they are. Um However, I think one of their main arguments has been bid won the last couple or whatever and momentum, but how can you say you've got momentum when it's been two months? Um, yeah, we've seen it in the past where a team has finished the season well and then started the next one well. You look at Leicester in the Premier League, but it doesn't happen that often. That um, Just look at us this season, for example. Um, but, yeah, fairest way... Um, Fair play to Coventry and Rotherham, and we'll look forward to some playoff games being on TV in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Chaff, what have you made of yourself of the Tranmere fans' reaction? Because I'll be honest, I feel very sorry for them, and I think um, Sundale fans are, um, are taking the mick a little bit, um, which is fair enough, I think, given some of the reactions. But at the same time, if it was us in their situation, we'd be equally as angry, I believe, and especially... There'd be certain factions of social media that'd be pretty embarrassing to look at from our point of view as well. So, uh, what have you made of their reaction? Um, I think we'd be more accepting of it. I know it's easy to say, but if that was us in their position, they've been in the relegation zone most of the season. For most of the season, they've been awful. Um. Let's not forget three of those points that they acquired early in the season was against Bolton Wanderers under 11's team. So, and we beat them in the one game that we did play against them. So, as much as I can see why they would think that they can get out of it, but it's just not possible to continue the season. And if you're not going to be able to continue the season for the for the format of the league, you have. To have promotion and relegation and under no um, method of calculating the points other than Mark Palios's of Tranmere been out of that relegation zone and that to me simply tells you they've just not accumulated enough points up to this point uh, so their theory of being able to get themselves out as Ryan said, it's based on form. And you can't you can't base anything on form when you've not played a game for three months. Um, we've seen that in Germany, there's the, the home advantage um, is not an issue. 
anymore. There's nobody's seemingly got home advantage anymore. So it's very, very different playing in front of empty crowds uh, if we'd have continued the season. Um, it's effective, it's effectively like saying one team finished the season playing really well, so they're going to start next season playing really, really well. It's just not... The form doesn't come into it at all, and I think that's what the Tranmere fans are clinging on to. Had they not won their last couple of games and they've won those games four or five weeks earlier, I don't think they'd be saying the things that they're saying. Um, so, as much as I can sympathise with them because they could have got out of it over the season they've not been good enough um, and I don't feel any pity whatsoever for Peterborough neither <laughs> Peter, no. Peterborough, Peterborough have done what they do every single season spend more than anybody else and they end up getting to March and April hoping to get in the playoffs and it's backfired on them yeah Something I mentioned, isn't it, last week? I think um, relegating a team is a little bit harsher than preventing a team from getting in the playoffs. I don't really feel any sympathy for um, Peterborough's chairman anyway, regardless of this season. Personally, I just think from from the position that we were in, that they deserve to have some form of opportunity to, to remain in the league. Um, I, I think a lot of people were saying when, when the season was brought to a temporary suspension, if you like, um, that they should just null and void it and, and nothing should happen from there. But that would have been unfair, in my opinion, to, to have Bolton staying in the league and to prevent Coventry from going up. So I think th- this should have been a, some way where you could... Um, maybe there was a margin for error there, like Tramir was saying, or maybe give Tramir the opportunity to stay in the league by going into like an extended playoff, perhaps, or something. Because uh, I just feel like if we were in the same position now, I would feel equally as hard done by... Um, as the Tranmere fans have shown themselves to be on social media, and I think it's, I think their anger is justified, um, to be honest. Um, but now that the season has come to an end, Ryan, obviously it's always going to have sort of an asterisk next to it, isn't it? Um, but how will you look back on this season from a footballing point of view? Do you think it's maybe a season of progression for the club and, and for the team, and particularly for, for Brian Barry Murphy? Yeah, yeah. to be honest, I, I see it as a as a positive season I think we've had um, two of the best moments being a Rochdale fan in that we've been to Old Trafford and and had that game and then had Newcastle at home Um, we've probably seen some of the best footballing performances we've seen by a Rochdale side I'm thinking Tranmere away first game and then the goals at South End Um, and yeah I guess the best way to be, to describe it is a, a positive building block for the way the club is run, the way we go about things and the way Brian Barry Murphy wants to go about things. Um, I think he can be proud of himself for, for the work, work he's done as the manager. I think the recruitment's been really good on the whole. Um, and yeah, I think on the football, well, both sides, on and off the field, I think it's been been a positive in the main. Yeah, Chaff, would you agree with that? I know obviously there was still a chance that we could have been relegated, but I personally I think we were in a strong enough position to say we would have stayed up and I think that's that's got to be something that's um, that's a positive given not only the financial situation at the club, but also that this was Barry Murphy's first full season as a manager. 
yeah, I think um, a lot of credit has to go to Brian Barry Murphy this season. Um, we know the budget constraints that he's been working with. Um, we've seen the injury constraints he's been working with. Um, and some of the sides that he's had to put out. Um, we've been playing kids every week. We've had 15-year-olds on the bench several weeks. Um, so, for us to to finish, well, the season, it's not finished the season, but to, to stay up and be outside of the relegation zone when it's ended, um, I think he deserves quite a bit of credit, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it's been a learning curve for him. He's, I put this on the message board before, but he's, he's, he's set out his stall right from game one that he's got his own style of football. He's brought in players who can accommodate that style of football. I'm thinking Sanchez um, evidently brought him because of how good he is with his feet. Um, it might have a, a bearing on why Lillis hasn't featured at all because um, that's just the way that he wants to play now. Um, he's learning on the job as well. Um, I think in the last maybe month of the season, we saw that he realised he wasn't going to be able to play that style of football against every team in the division. Um, and he mixed it up a little bit. And when he mixed it up a little bit, we had some favourable results, um, especially that Rotherham game, the last game that we saw. Uh, where we were outstanding, but yeah, overall, I think it's um, I think it's a season of quite a few positives. There's been some negatives as well. Some of the football has been hard to watch, um, especially when we were struggling with injuries in the middle part of the season. Um, but we've also, like Ryan said, we've had some of the best moments that we've had in years. Uh, going to Old Trafford, taking them to penalties, uh, Luke Matheson. Um, the dream goal, the Newcastle game where we draw in dramatic circumstances and then could have even won it with Ollie Rathbone at the end going up to Newcastle. Um, yeah, it's just there's more, there's more favourable moments than I can remember negative moments. When you say taking them to penalties, are you talking as a United fan or? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what what do you think the next few months look like from a footballing sense obviously the story regarding um, the shares and the investors uh, is going to rumble on but in terms of more from a footballing aspect we, we haven't seen the release list as yet it's something we've spoken about already a few times in uh, previous episodes but Ryan what do you think the next steps will be. Do you think we're looking at having an even smaller squad next season after after having quite a small one this year? And um, what about the pitch as well? That's something that, that that needs work. And do you think that'll start in the next few days? Given that we're we're not likely to be playing on it still for another few months yet. Yeah, I, I certainly see the pitch work being carried out. I think the board have come out. I think Bottomley said that um, already. That that's being done regardless of what happens uh, with regards to. The actual football side, we still don't, as much as we know the season's ending, we still don't know that much. We don't know when next season's starting yet. Um, we don't know how long the transfer window is going to be open. Um, I don't necessarily think we'll need a smaller squad. Um, I think we'll probably end up with a similar size eventually. 
Um, but something's got to give him a football world. I think wage demands are going to decrease. Um, will we lose players in contract on that basis? Remains to be seen. I'd be surprised if many of the released players are on the contract next season, if any. Um, although I think I think it just depends whether we hear about the returned list until we hear about next season's plans. I'm not sure. I think we'd be daft to do that um, personally. But I think it'll just be it'll be an interesting summer, that's for sure, regardless of you know what decisions are made. Something that Ryan sort of touched on a little bit there. Do you think there's maybe a chance that some players will be released um, just to save some money in the meantime, and then perhaps when we do learn more about when the next season's going to start, they'll be offered a contract later down the line, and and perhaps more on a on a general scale, where do you think we'll be looking to strengthen um, during this transfer window? Obviously, it's going to be a strange one, uh, um, but we're we're going to lose some key players with Reese Norrington Davies and Robert Sanchez going back to the parent club, so. Um, what do you think that the transfer market's going to look like for Dale in the next few months? Um, well, in terms of um, release, sort of potentially releasing players to bring them back, um, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? Um, we've released players before and signed them again before the season started. I'm thinking um, Scott Wiseman um, when I say that. So, yeah, financial needs must. Um with regards to how will our transfer window look, I don't know how the footballing transfer window is going to look, but um, in terms of what we need, potentially with our release list, if you assume that we may lose Henderson, Wilbraham and Calvin Andrew, that is three very experienced forward players, leaving us with <laughs> probably just Tavares. Um, so it's going to be absolutely vital that we strengthen and we we recruit well up front. Um, we're also going to need some more experience because we have got a very young squad and a very inexperienced squad. And if we assume that we're going to lose Callum Camps, um, I actually think we're well stocked in the middle of the park, like we mentioned last week. Um, but his assists and his goals have been absolutely invaluable so ideally you would look to replace that um, I think the centre of defence is pretty solid we've got as we mentioned again last week uh, we've got O'Connell we've got McShane we've got McNulty um, two of those vastly experienced and those are going to, they're going to be so vital um, for what is as I've mentioned a young squad um, goalkeeper situation you'd probably look to bring in somebody uh, and have Lynch as a number two. We obviously need a left-back with Norrington Davis going back. I think we need wide players. I think that is one area of the team that we've not particularly done brilliantly in this past season. Um, We've had the likes of Matt Doan, who's not really offered as much as what you'd want him to. We've seen glimpses, but only small ones from uh, Quadro Bar. Tavares, we did, we've not seen enough from Dooley. Um, so, 
yeah, I think we'd need to strengthen in wide areas if we can. Um, but whether we're going to have the finances to be able to do all that um, remains to be seen. Uh, whether the, the players that we ordinarily would want are going to be available given the current situation, again, remains to be seen. Um it's going to be a strange one. There's definitely areas that we need to improve on regardless. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be strange, I think, this summer. Yeah, I think perhaps even there's going to be more players looking for clubs, so it might even um, work in our favour in, in some ways because there will be some smaller squads. And um, I think the release list that we've seen already have been pretty large, probably larger than they would be anyway. So there'd be a lot of players out of contract. Perhaps we need some sort of analytical tool to find uh, some cheap strikers, maybe. I don't know. But, um... where, can, where, can, where can you get one of them? <laughs> right, guys, uh, we'll call it a day there. Um, obviously, we're going to have plenty to talk about in the next few weeks with this uh, ongoing situation at the club. And, of course, um, the release list is likely to be announced in the next few days so we'll bring our reaction to that next week uh, all that's left for me to say today is thanks for joining me so cheers again chaff nice one mate cheers and cheers ryan no worries thanks for having me thanks for listening guys see you soon